the rock play where we speak our truth, slay sacred cows, and sometimes agree to disagree. This is an outdoor podcast that aims for the head. I'm Colin True, and today Chris Hampton is back, and we're going to run through some rock climbing topics that I've had kicking around in my head. You can hear Chris on Written in Stone on the Plug Tone Audio Network, the Power Company Climbing Podcast. I mean, what else, man? You're everywhere. We just talked about, you named like two other podcasts you worked on. Like, I feel like you're Breaking on more shows beta. that I'm not mentioning. Yeah, Breaking Beta is our science podcast, climbing science podcast, and then uh, the Plug Tone Outdoors, which is just an experimental, fun channel. I want Plug Tone Outdoors to come back. That was my, we talked about that last time. I don't think it made the cut that, that I put up, but like that was, you had some really fun episodes on that one. One of these days it'll, it'll like reignite. Well, you're currently like hosting the, mo- the hottest climbing podcast going right now. So, you know, Plug Tone Outdoors, maybe, maybe, maybe I should uh, put my hopes and dreams aside for that one. <laughs> yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> yes, it is. Number one. Number one, baby. But, but I will say this. I love it when you put on your podcast voice. Like we're, we're chatting, <laughs> we're chatting, and then you put on your podcast announcer voice, and I get psyched. <laughs> I've, I've been told my whole life, like, you sound like you're on the radio. I'm like, well, I may as well use it to my advantage, I guess. My kids Absolutely. hate it when I talk because I'm loud and verbose. <laughs> so, like, 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 screw you. This is my only talent. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Keep doing it. So I have four climbing and sort of climbing adjacent topics uh, I want to go through with you today. And some are industry yeah. focused. Some are a little bit more experience focused. And we talked about when um, you were on last time that, you know, I don't like calling myself a climber. I like to rock climb, but I don't call myself a climber. And But I've also worked in and around the the human-powered outdoor industry. I'm trying to add human mm-hmm. power to that statement because you're kind of learning that, like, the outdoor industry is yeah. much bigger than what the Outdoor Industry Association claims mm-hmm. that it is. And so, you know, I just kind of think of climbing as part of hiking, backpacking, you know, kayaking, you know, whatever, cycling, whatever. The more lately I've been kind of looking at it, I mean, how big is the climbing industry? I mean, you, I mean, and also, I guess follow up to that is, do you separate indoor climbing from just outdoor climbing? Is it all one big world? I mean, so just what is the scope of the climbing industry? Wow, I, I could not possibly give you numbers, but it's big and growing massively and fast. Um, you know, you should you should pull on someone from the Climbing Business Journal yeah. uh, to give you hard numbers. They're always looking into that stuff. And the the climbing gym industry, I I personally separate the two. Yeah. Um, and I think there is a, quite a bit of, of separation. I talked with a, a gym owner in Longmont, Colorado, a couple of years ago, and he told me that. They did a poll with all of their members. These are the people who pay a monthly or yearly membership. So not the people just coming in to visit for a birthday party or whatever. And that 2% of them had climbed outside. This is in Colorado. Okay. I think this is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, I didn't expect you to come in armed with like a bunch of numbers, but it just, I, I didn't quite understand the scope of how big climbing had yeah. gotten. And kind of to our conversation, like the last time we were here, when you think about how kind of you know, the badass perception of rock climbing, indoor or outdoor, it just still feels almost like niche in a way, like compared right. to uh, going hiking or something like that. So to think, when I start seeing things like, you know, the the, the industry you just mentioned, you know, the Climbing Wall Association, I wrote on our, on mm-hmm. our outline, what the hell is the Climbing <laughs> Wall Association? I didn't know this <clears throat> thing existed. And, yeah. but then also it doesn't really surprise me to your point, you know, like a 98 to two ratio of climbing indoor versus outdoor. 
Because yeah. I got to think that like how many people go climbing at a gym and never even would consider going climbing outside. Yeah, it's become a it's almost become a like a a piece of the fitness industry as opposed to yeah. the outdoor industry. Um, I think the climbing gyms are at a unique spot where there's a lot of crossover in both industries in the gyms. Yeah. Um, but I think it's overwhelmingly becoming more and more fitness industry. Is that creating, is there any strife in the climbing world? Is there any For sort sure. of, that the outdoor climbers like loathe the, the gyms and that sort of thing? There, there's, there are a couple of different ways this goes. Um, number one, there's the, we talked about this a little last time, like the disgruntled older generation of climbers who are like, gyms used to look this way and you used to be able to train better for outdoor climbing. Um, that's, that's my now, next thing now, is gy- <clears throat> climbing gyms then versus now. Cause I saw something online about that this week, but keep, keep going. Yeah. So, so they, they hate the new variety of gym, you know, the way commercial gyms mostly look now, there's sort of a, a template of sorts. Um, and sure. they complain yeah. about it a lot. Um, there's also the side of if we're inviting more people into the gym and introducing them to outdoor climbing in some way, now they're overrunning the crags and it's worse for the environment and the, the base of the crag is getting worn away faster. And, you know, so they're, they're, our boulder fields are getting more crowded. So there's all of this as well. Um, and I'm, I'm conflicted on all of those counts. You're being very diplomatic right now. And as someone who owns multiple <laughs> climbing companies, I understand why. I do think the climbers and the surfers need to get fucked a little bit. Like, come on, guys. Like, more people doing the activities is, a, is better for humanity in the world. Yes, yeah. there are logistical yeah. concerns that come with everything you're describing. And I... I think it's more the hipster mindset of like, I was here first or I was doing this before mm-hmm. it was cool that it is actually any real, especially look at the numbers you just quoted, 90, like 2% of people who are in a gym, right. not going outside. Who are the, who are the people overrunning the crags? Right. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think number one, if you're like posting on your Instagram, this is so cool. I'm so cool. Cause I go outdoor rock climbing. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, but you're not allowed to like it. You know, <laughs> that sort of like elitism gatekeeping. I'm not a big fan right. of at all. And I think we're bringing in more money. We're bringing in smart people who, you know, have, have ties that we can use. Like, you know, there, there are lots of groups going out and now lobbying Congress to make these, you know, make rock climbing a legitimate part of these laws that were written, you know, a hundred years ago or whatever. Um, so that doesn't happen if it's just the, the hipster lawbreaker, you know, uh, that the like old school style of what a rock climber looks like that doesn't happen. Um, Luckily, we're bringing more people in, more money in. I think it's a good thing, ultimately. Ultimately, it is. I mean, well, I'm more on the industry side. So then I discovered the Climbing Wall Association as an actual yeah. kind of trade association that has its own trade show. Its own and the reason I bring show. this up isn't just to say, wow, isn't that amazing? But we're in this weird world right now when it comes to trade shows and events and kind of industry style events. And, you know, I went looking at the trade show, which is going to be in May. I think it's in Portland. And you see some of the brands that are going. And look, it's a lot of the brands that no longer go to outdoor retailer. And then I kind of put that under the lens of, okay, you have OR still trying to be OR. You have people like the Big Gear Show who are, you know, doing their thing. But then at the same time, these 
more, uh, you know, kind of category specific shows are popping up, right? I mean, Sea Otter's been around forever, but that has become known as a, now the de facto cycling event. Functional Fabric is happening in Portland. That is a materials, a designer event. The running event in Austin, who's been dabbling in more outdoor stuff, but that was a that's a running specific event. And now you have a climbing wall trade show. With there are two Scarpa. now, actually. There are two of them? Okay. There, there was a new one uh, just in December in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, a new indoor climbing trade show. So uh, it's, a, it's a big business. And if you're a if you're a retailer, take the outdoor versus indoor you know top uh, conversation aside because the stuff's all the same harnesses, shoes, ropes, whatever, right? So who cares if you, where you're using it? If you really if you pedal and climbing, you would go probably to the, one of these shows now, even if it is more indoor specific. So I don't know how does that kind of shake out? I mean, do, would you, do you go to these shows? Do you you ever you ever been to one of them? Yeah, I, I went to CWA. Um, I've got an episode on my podcast from several years ago with uh, the woman who was like the director of the CWA at the time. Mm-hmm. For me as a coach, uh, working with people you know, who are spending a lot of their time in gyms, it was far more valuable to go to the CWA than it was to go to OR. Um, yeah. OR had just gotten so big and so complicated and convoluted and stressful and going to the CWA, which was much smaller, um, easier to have, you know, face-to-face conversations without making appointments, easier to just meet people. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the CWA for a few years. Uh, and, and I think it's a, it's a different thing to be able to, you know, yes, when you go to OR, there's like, this is the climbing section. This is the paddling section, you know, but going into a room that's all climbing gym based where you get to see all of the new holds that people are creating that go into the gyms, all of the new boards that people are putting together, all of, you know, all of this new technology that's coming in to, to support this gym world. That's just blowing up. Um, it's just so much more valuable for the, the, the person who's in that indoor climbing industry. Yeah, I'm just I'm fascinated by this topic. The industry specifically, like we had Sean Smith from Outdoor Retailer on a few months ago. I'm chatting with some folks from the Outdoor Recreation Roundtable later this week, and these are kind of the conversation. It's how we gather. Everybody seems to agree that gathering is important, and I, I yeah. think it's important. And if there was a big national show, I think that'd be a, if there's a way to do it, that's great. But it does still feel to me that a lot of folks are trying to like, well, how do we just get back to the way it used to be? And there's just all these mm. breadcrumbs that are saying it's never gonna, you know, it's just not going to happen. There's, there's got to yeah. be a new way to do it. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. I think the next thing, though, kind of leads into it. And you touched on it a little bit is the kind of climbing gyms then versus now. So I was tracking a conversation you, you weighed in on on threads this week and someone floated the idea that climbing gyms were worse now than they used to be. And again, it's not yeah, a sort of core climber some you know anybody making that argument i mean we, you talked about you here last time about how climbing gyms you know the, the shirtless dude was defensible in old school climbing gyms because there was no air conditioning right this is sort of right, this, right. these kind of crappy you know gyms that it was you know were, were not uh necessarily a nice place to exist in so what is what is the background of this exchange is it is it just that sort of like hipster i was doing this before you it was cooler back then kind of vibe yeah that's part of it um 
but there's also the like the gyms are fundamentally changing in the like the way that they look, the holds that are on the wall, the mm-hmm. the way the walls are built have have fundamentally changed and changed for the better in large part. The the big uh, like the underlying feeling that was posted on threads, and I think that was originally posted by Crisp Shawarma, um, who who is an, an instigator and likes to instigate these things, and I appreciate that about him. Um, but the underlying tone there is that there are all these grumpy old climbers who liked when climbing in the gyms was trying to look more like climbing outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so like tweaky little holds and, you know, just a, more in the style of outdoor specific climbing. Climbing has gone more and more toward the, at least indoor climbing, uh, the style you see like in the Olympics, which is a little more like parkour, much more fun to watch, no question but maybe doesn't transfer as well to outdoor climbing. Um, So they're grumpy about that. And it's harder. It's tricky. You know, like I go in there to do some of these boulder problems that are put up in gyms nowadays, and it's hard. Like it's not what I've trained in for 25 years. So I go in there and I feel like a beginner, and that's a, a blow to my ego, and that's what's happening to a lot of these guys. All right, let's talk about the activity itself because I want you to put your coach hat on because this is something, this is a little self serving. It's something I've been thinking about as I try to balance, you know, all the things that I want to do plus get time in because my daughter and I like to climb with each other and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is a little bit of an obligatory New Year's fitness question. So, climbing as strength training. So, is Mm. because climbing is sort of the only outdoor sport where muscles and strength really play a key role. You know, everything else is kind of more on the endurance side, even Mm -hmm. like kayaking, things like that. It's more of an endurance style activity. And, you know, I've always been frustrated by my endurance friends who all they do is run or bike. Right. And then you see the folks who are, you know, whose age I'm kind of rapidly approaching who, you know, they're happy to carry that little belly because they're not doing any Mm -hmm. strength training. Right. And it's just they they can ride their bike for six hours and crush you on it. But. You know, the overall fitness, everyone will tell you, hey, strength really is important. So is bouldering or climbing in the gym enough of a strength building experience for those who sort of don't want to go to the gym to just lift or do strength training in your in your experience? I'm going to get a little deep in the weeds in this question because you asked me to put my coach hat on. So do it's it. on. I'm um, going to take notes. So I'm going to get a free. I'm not charging. <laughs> you know, I'm not paying you for this. <laughs> I think as a like general fitness activity, it's probably better than a lot of the the fitness industry type of activities for people who want to be challenged in a lot of different ways, as opposed to, you know, you're going to get more bang for your buck. Absolutely. If you just go lift weights, um, if you, right, go you can do that for like 15 gym, minutes, right. And like, and really yeah. do some work there. I got you. Okay. Yeah. You're going to get more bang for your buck. You're going to be able to load heavier. You're going to be able to challenge yourself more specifically. And, you know, as an aging adult, that's what you are. That's what I am. Oh yeah. I do think that strength training is really important. Um, like really lifting heavy things, putting, you know, moving heavy things, I think is really important for us in terms of longevity. Is climbing and bouldering strength training? I would say not really, but it can 
help you get stronger. If you're starting from a pretty low base of upper body strength, mm-hmm. it's going it's going to probably help. I don't think it's a complete strength training program. I think you should probably be doing some other things, moving some heavy things around um, to, to benefit yourself the most. Is it the most fun way? Fuck yeah. For, for me, it certainly is. All right. So last thing to talk about, and this is one we'll probably end up talking about the, the most, because you, you wanted me to listen to this episode, and I did. So I the episode of the Power Company pod, which compared Taylor <laughs> yeah. Swift to the climbing industry, which, by the way, like just regardless of anything we're about to talk about, good for you. <laughs> More of this, please. I love, let's take, let's take one thing and compare it to something that, that seemingly on paper has nothing in common and let's find the commonalities. I love it. But you yeah. referenced that it was, um, you, ca- you came onto it because of the move about a year ago when Eddie Bauer laid off their climbing team. What made you really want to talk about this on the pod? What was sort of the impetus? Was it the, the Eddie Bauer move? Yeah, it was the, the complaining uh, from the athletes, like this is the way it used to be, and we want it to remain that way. That's sort of the whole feeling I got from all of these climbers who were complaining about the climbing team being disbanded. And most of the people I know were like, Eddie Bauer had a climbing team. Yeah. They didn't know that, you know. Well, so, they're a really interesting case because I'm sure. I mean, you know this that I, that. That team came together when Peter Whitaker took over and created First Ascent, and they were right. building stuff for Alpinists, for guides. So they brought in a mm-hmm. bunch of guides to influence it. it yeah. When I saw that, I, I we, we definitely talked about it on the show. I kind of felt like that's kind of amazing it lasted as long as it did, frankly. Yeah, so ultimately it was just the the whole feeling of this is the way it used to be. We're sick of things changing. We want it to be the old way. That that's the feeling I got that's from everybody. A constant theme in our space, isn't it? Yeah. So my my takeaway was I thought the comp was great as always. Well produced, sounded great. The, the music clips were fantastic. Felt like I was listening to sixty songs and explain the nineties. <laughs> you absolutely crushed the the sound design. Oh, I fucking as love that usual. podcast. Isn't that a great pod. Yeah, no oh, free man. ads, but I'll give you one, Rob Harvilla. That's such a great podcast. Yeah, he's so good. I think you got the comp wrong. I think it's not Taylor Swift. I think it's Casey Neistat. Because it's it's more these people, at least you know music artists, even or just artists in general, they have to create something, and I think what's changed is because now that you know the days are gone, right, of the people just looking for people to bankroll their adventures, mm-hmm. and for a long time that was a real thing, right? You know, just talk about back yeah. to outdoor retailer. I mean, what was the percentage of people just wandering the halls at that show, being like, "Hey, I'm going to climb yeah. a mountain next year. You want to pay for it?" And a yeah. lot of brands being like, yeah, we do. <laughs> like That was the way it was for a little while there. But you have to, I feel like these the folks these days who are successful, don't you have to be kind of something good at something other than your activity, right? You got to be a YouTube, a content creator, a TikToker. You got to be able to make YouTube videos, things like that. And I wonder yeah. if those are the folks we're really going to see continue to rise to the top here as, as we go forward. Yeah, I think they are. And I think that that's sort of the point. That's why I chose Taylor Swift because like, I think Casey Neistat has always played that game. As far as I knew, he wasn't someone who like played the old game in the old system. Right. And then transferred into this new system and was like, okay, we're going to drop everything we know from the old system and do it this new way, even better than we were doing it in the old system. Um, Yeah. And, you know, to to be clear here, I I didn't know shit about Taylor Swift. (laughs) Uh, other than like the music industry 
part of it. Like I didn't know her songs at all. I'm I'm not a Taylor Swift fan, but I have several friends who are Swifties and like super fans. So I just I hit up my friend Lauren and was like, "All right, here's the here's the 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 way my podcast is going to look. Give me the lyrics that I should go looking for." Uh, so I can punch in some Taylor Swift songs and and she and her Swifty crew came back with this massive Google Doc of <laughs> songs oh I God. needed to listen to. So, but I think what Taylor Swift did really well was she worked in the old system. Yeah. Of I see. Yeah, this that makes label sense. is is owning my music. They're giving me a loan. I'm dependent on them to to put the music out there to distribute it everything. I go make the music and they do everything else. And now she's switched over to this model of I'm going to own on the all the music, I'm going to do all the things, I'm going to build relationships with my fans and put out my own things. Um and I I really appreciate that especially on a ma- on a major scale like that where she could still be really successful in the old way. You yeah, that's absolutely true. You're right. The way you have to do it now versus the way you could do it before. And, you know, that I put an example in our document. So Killian Moniz, if I'm saying that incorrectly, I apologize. Someone can correct me. Myrockfight at gmail.com. Send me an email. But she's a pro surfer. <laughs> and this literally okay. is you and I were texting about what to talk about in this episode. I saw this pop up in, in one of the kind of trade rags. And she had a – I signed with Roxy when she was like 13 or 17. Mm-hmm. She was really young. And she just ended her relationship because – you know, and this is kind of the next part of the conversation I want to have, which I think is interesting. It made, you, you, that episode really made me think about the way this has all gone. Because so she ended this the relationship with Roxy. Roxy was just acquired by, or recent was recently acquired by, I think it was Authentic Brands, and mm-hmm. basically ended her contract and then offered to re-sign her at like ninety percent of the value of the contract. And right. she's just like, nope, not doing it. I know my value. I'm going to go do my own thing. And I think that's where. It's an interesting play because, and I'm not, again, I don't want to speak for the, specifically the, the climbing industry, as we talked about at the beginning, it's much larger than, than I'm even familiar with, but at least on kind of more the, the kind of snow, you know, trail-based sports, like the big brands, you know, who used to throw out these, who had the opportunities to give out these sort of, you know, um, uh, endorsements and ambassadorships and things like that to folks who could actually mm-hmm. then make a living doing the things they like, you know, except for Patagonia, they're all pretty much owned by some publicly traded entity now, yeah. you know, this, and this is kind of, it's not one for one, but it's a little similar to Eddie Bauer. Like they changed strategy. And yeah. to your point about the people who are kind of looking at it going, Oh, I wish it was the way it used to be. It's like, that's kind of naive, man. Like the way, it, the way it used to be was it was the nineties and early two thousands when everything going on outside was the, about as cool as it could get. And people were making money off of this stuff. Yep. This is not like that anymore. Yeah, the 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 like parallel between Taylor Swift and this was that uh, back then in the old model, m- the music was the product. That's that's what we paid for. We went to the store and we bought a CD, um, and we you know if once we ruined that CD, we had to go buy another one, and and they made money off that as the product. Now with streaming, we think. Unlimited music costs six dollars a month. You know that's that's our new ethos. Can yeah. can that six dollars be split up between all of the musicians we're streaming? No way. So there has to be a new model. What's the new product? If if the music isn't the product, 
you have to create something else. You have to create relationships with these people. You have to you have to give them new things. That's what they're paying for. You have to go out and see the people. Um, people are now paying for the relationship with the person they want to hear from. You know, I, I think that more and more that's the case. So in that episode, and just even just, again, paying a little bit of closer attention uh, since we started kind of talking about doing this episode, you guys name drop a bunch of folks who I have no idea who they are, like in terms of sure. like the, the hot climbers of the day, right? The people who are really popular, have followings, things like that. Because mm-hmm. I kind of think of it as like when you look across the board, you know, I don't, I don't really know who is that these days. Who are the names these days? Like back in, again, in the 90s, you say like Alex Lowe or Conrad Anchor, these people, they really seem like they could almost bridge the gap into mainstream. Probably not, but like probably closer yeah. because mm-hmm. the way things were marketed, things people mm-hmm. understood. Now, though, I mean, isn't a random TikToker just as likely to have like the content that you're interested in? I mean, even in like the cycling world, it's almost like the people who and mountain bikes who are doing kind of comedy segments or, you know, uh, Seth from Burn Peak, who's like, you know, a, a, a more of a tutorial guy in a lot of ways. Right. Those are the mm-hmm. people people uh, I think people are looking towards. So, I mean, is there even yeah. the opportunity, I guess, what I'm getting at, to like kind of have you know, make money doing this from a brand? Would you why would you even want to go that route? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a great question. Like, I I don't see a lot of upside to being beholden to to companies anymore. You you are your own brand now. That's kind you know, of what I'm have, getting at, right, with the Casey yeah. Comp, right? Yeah. yeah, you have all of the channels to create your own brand. You're using the same channels those those businesses are, those right. big companies are, you know. Um, so the distribution model is no longer viable. It's not like you go out, you have your adventure, they pay to make a film and they distribute it widely because they can. Yeah. Um, now it's almost free to just distribute things to everybody that you can get to watch it. Um, so, you know, there are the like, obviously there's the like Alex Honnold, um, you know, he's going to be probably the most famous climber on the planet right now. And he's not just sitting on that. He's not just saying, okay, I've got these sponsors paying me money. He's making a podcast, you know, with with the folks that duct tape them beer. Yep. Um, he's and he's also hosting a bunch of other podcasts. He's diversifying all these. He's getting a bunch of different income streams, um, putting himself out there. He's maybe the best example I've ever seen of someone who is awkward as hell <laughs> to talk to in person. Um, when he first came onto the climbing scene right. and he's learned to talk to the media, like he's learned to be his own brand uh, and he's capitalizing on that. And so are all the best climbers in the world are doing the same thing. You know, the Adam Andres probably, uh, I, I'm not even sure you can debate that he's the best climber in the world right now. And He's got a really successful YouTube channel that puts out really incredible content over and over. He's not waiting for, you know, his sponsors to bankroll his videos. He's right. he's doing it himself and and reaping the benefits of that. And he's got all these other things going on. And Chris Sharma has multiple gyms now that are his gyms. And he's know? a terrible host of a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> that that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's, I've said that publicly out. on this podcast before, so for I... sure, for sure. 
Chris was, well, maybe Jason Momoa was the weakest link in that show. Um, Megan was thank, sitting right there. Thanks, they had thanks, Megan, Megan Martin right there. <laughs> we appreciate you, Megan, for doing what you did uh, coming so into that show. So frustrating. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, all of these people, the best climbers in the world are doing it. And then we've got like tier two and three athletes over yeah. on the Eddie Bauer team complaining that they're not getting paid enough to continue to have their selfish adventures. That's what that's what tipped me off into this like I'm going to have to make a Taylor Swift episode. I I love it. I and I just look it if anything like we're living proof of this conversation right now. The world is now set up in a way that you can do it, right? And yeah, it's it's yeah, and yeah. it's easy to do, right? You don't have, you know the Mm-hmm. Quality doesn't matter quite as much, and the ability everything's on your phone. If you just want to do anything, you can do is basically on your phone. If you if you really put your head to it, and yeah. uh, and there's always going to be exceptions, right? I mean, there's always going to be the the Honolds or the people who are you know just Sharm is a great example given how where he started and where he is now and kind of bridging that gap. I'm sure mm-hmm. he still has sponsors, but yeah. it's you know, and in the future there'll be somebody else that a company will invest in, or you can just really invest in yourself. And if you really want to do this and make a career out of doing just these things, the tools are all just laying there for you to use versus 20, 30 years ago, all you could do was troll the halls at outdoor retailer and hope that somebody would pay for you to go do something. One of the things that really frustrates me is the conversation around like outdoor influencers. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about the like, just a random hot girl who goes and stands in a field of sunflowers or something like Opens that. Opens up the back of the van, you know, in Malibu or something, <laughs> right? You know, but the, you know, the, the like climbing influencer world has gotten a lot of flack and we're, mm-hmm. and we're getting a ton of it from these Eddie Bauer athletes who had been dropped. But ultimately your job as an ambassador for this company is to get people to look at the company. And if these influencers who don't climb as hard as you and don't go out on these adventures like you are doing a better job at your job than you are, then of course they should be the ones who are getting the job. You right. know? Um, so for me, I'm like, if an influencer is going to do a better job at coaching people or at telling the stories of climbing history than I am, then they should get that money. So I'm going to work my ass off to make sure that doesn't happen. And I'm going to cultivate relationships and build my own brand so that I have an audience who will follow me to this next thing that I'm going to do. Right. Just like these influencers are doing, frankly. And also, you know, you know what used to happen like back in the day, like they would, no, there weren't influencers or sponsored athletes and everyone would like would work like a construction job for like four months and save up a bunch of money yeah. and then go have adventures. And that option is yeah, still on the table, by the way, like you, still you can there. still go do that, you know? Yep. Absolutely. I think we could wrap it up there, man. I think we got it. <laughs> <laughs> so what else you got going on, man? You got How many more episodes are lined up for Written in Stone right now? I wish I could answer that question. Uh, the season was supposed to be 20 total episodes, and we're already at episode 16, and I'm only to 1992. Um, and oh. we're going through the whole 90s. It was 20 for the— so, Are you including all the interviews, <clears throat> too, you mean? or or? Yeah, yeah. Well, what, how, many, how many of the actual, like, 30-minute— Spots have, have there been, like the actual like your 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 narrative pods. How We're many halfway. Okay, we're there halfway. You go. There have been five. So yep, halfway through we've got I think six more of those. Okay. Um, I'm so glad it's going great for you, man. And what's going on over at Power Company? Power Company is in flux right now. I'm like, um, <laughs> I'm changing the format of the podcast a little bit, not a ton. 
I want it to be a little more like, are you familiar with Armchair Expert and am, that yeah. whole that whole business they've got over there where they've got a bunch of different series that happen on their, uh, their one channel. Mm-hmm. Um, Power Company is going to morph into something a little more like that, where there are a couple of different threads you can follow, all related around becoming a better climber. All right, man, we can wrap it up there. Thanks for coming on again. We'll have to do this again soon. Yeah, man, let's do it. I'm, I'm excited to hear more of your podcast voice. <laughs> I, I got plenty of that. Don't worry. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Thanks, man. Thanks, as always, to Chris Hampton for coming on the show. All of his shows are linked in the notes, including the specific Taylor Swift episode of Power Company Climbing, so check them out. We'll be back with at least one more episode later this week, and be sure to head over to rockfight.co and click Your Mom to get the latest from Rock Fight's blog. The Rock Fight is a production of Rock Fight LLC. I'm Colin True. Thanks for listening. And here to take us out is Chris Makes, who spells Chris differently than Chris Hampton. And Chris Makes is going to play the Rock Fight fight song. We'll see you next time, Rock Fighters. Rock Fight!